like a moment from a horror movie. You have been hanging out in the wrong clubs, Mr. Wayne. I've seen this movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Join the club. We've got jackets. And you stole it from a movie. We want you in our club, kid. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. I'm John Burke, and with me, as always, is Corey Starr. Hello, hello. And today we're calling her Before Corey Star. Wait, Before Core. No, Before Star Trilogy. It was so good when I typed it, and I, I missed the execution. I was impressed. I was like, how did I not see this one before? But you know, it sometimes the inspiration strikes, and I'm like, ah, I got the name, but um, I screwed it up. It's Before Starogy. I knew that it just would not come out, but I mean, it's literally in front of me. Uh, but I was not looking at it when I was trying to say it a minute ago. But um, <laughs> we are here to review the final part of the Before Trilogy as the third week of Love Stinks Month, November 2020. Uh, the Before Midnight film we are going to be talking about tonight. Um, but before we do that, we like to catch up with how things have been going as well as get into what we've been watching since the last time we recorded. Um, so, Corey, how's it going? It's going. It's chilly. Um, it's the weekend. I have a short week next week. I have Thanksgiving off, so that's good. Yes, Thanksgiving is uh, for us as well. I am. I, we started our uh, Thanksgiving break today. It was our last day of class, which some of my students uh, dipped out a little early, uh, which always happens. You know, kids go we uh, sh- uh, kind of bad because they're traveling, um, mm. which the CDC, I feel like the CDC dropped the ball. They didn't make a plea to the country until yesterday, but they were like, basically, please don't travel. And it's like, maybe you guys should have said that, you know, before they bought their tickets to places. Because once you buy a plane ticket, you're pretty much going to travel because they don't refund usually. Um, they might make exceptions right now, but I doubt it because I've, I've heard the plane industry is not doing so hot because of COVID. So, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of travel, which is going to spread the virus that's already spreading like wildfire right now. And who knows? Um, but uh, on the other hand, um, you know, Today was a pretty relaxed day for the most part. You know, it's the last day before break. My uh, my principal got us um, lunch today. She got us Panera. Uh, so I had a sandwich, chips, pickle, and a cookie. Because um, Panera is doing like a boxed lunch catering. Because that's what we can't do. Like normally she'd have like, we'd have more like buffet style stuff for uh, like a, a lunch like this today. But we can't do that because of COVID. And we can't even like, we can't see each other. We just like walk in the room, get our lunch and go back to our rooms kind of thing. Um but uh, it was still a very good lunch, and Fridays are my cheat day, so I cheated a little too hard today, I think. But uh, I had um, the cookie, which was amazing. But I've been eyeballing a donut at Dunkin' Donuts for about a week now. They have a ghost pepper donut. What? And I was like, oh, that's on my list because I'm really into spicy food in the last year and a half or so. And uh, I'm like, oh, I got to try that. Now, I will say it has a little bit of heat, but just barely. Like you can, I noticed like, oh, there's definitely something spicy here, but it's really good. It's got a strawberry kind of flavor with the heat. And it's, oh, I, I like it very much. So I was glad I, I did get that today. So is it like a spicy jelly inside? There's no jelly. It's uh, the icing, I think, is, has the spice. Oh, it's like a frosted strawberry donut with some sprinkles. And it's, I'm assuming it's the frosting. It did kind of feel like it could be the whole donut, but the donut just looked like a regular donut. I didn't see anything to indicate that there was actually spice in the batter. So I assume it's the frosting. Okay. But that it's, it's great. If you like spice, I, I recommend it. 
um, the Dunkin' Donuts is usually the topic I have on the on the BAMP podcast with Matt because um, usually I'm coming home from work right before we record BAMP and I'll swing by Dunkin' and get a coffee. And uh, so for a good, like most of October, I kept trying to get a pumpkin donut and they never had the pumpkin donuts. Uh, so it was like an ongoing uh, like tale of did Birkenfield get the pumpkin donut this week? Nope, sure didn't. <laughs> um, I finally got pumpkin donut holes, which was close enough. Uh, but the dude hooked me up because he, he didn't have the regular pumpkin donut. And when I, I was like, he's like, well, we do have the, pump, the donut holes. I'm like, OK, cool. I'll take like I think five is the smallest you can get or whatever. And then I had like 15 in the bag. So the dude was just like, he just threw them all in there. Um, today, He's like, no one else is ordering these. No, I'm kidding. Right. Um, they, they do that at this Dunkin'. Like they rarely have things, but if they don't have something you ask for and then you get something else, they will hook you up with, with free extra of the thing you didn't want. That's the funny part. It's like, I didn't really want this, but here's more of the thing you didn't actually want. The Constellation Prize, you get several. But, um, but the, I mean, it was still pumpkin. <laughs> It, that was that was very close it happened once with um i wanted just like a the normal like the chocolate frosted donut and they didn't with have sprinkles? it so i said uh I, I did not specify i would have taken either or but then i uh i took the maple glaze um which i found out i actually really like the maple uh frosted or whatever donuts um but they they gave me like i ordered one she gave me three and i'm like okay i appreciate this but i also don't because I'm, I'm not even not supposed to have the one donut yeah um, and there's no way you're not going to eat the, the donuts. Um, I have but, no uh, self-control. Like I can't have a lot of snacks in my house. So I understand. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's, um, I've been since COVID I've been, my diet's been up and down. I've, I've been, I've maintained my weight, but I definitely haven't been losing. Like I want to, cause I, my goal is still to get to 220. I'm, I think the closest I've gotten was like 232 and I keep bouncing back between 232 and 240. Right. Like, but I'm, I'm maintaining where I need to be. But I want to lose more. And I haven't really been pushing because of COVID and everything else. Um, but I have been going back to the gym finally. I, I was, I've was i been working out the whole time. But I've been now going to the gym and able to really push myself. Because I didn't have – I couldn't increase my weights at home. But now I can increase my weights. And I'm starting to like really push for some extra muscle. And um, I my big thing the last couple of weeks was that I've been eating sugar throughout the week. Where I had been really good about not eating sugar. So I really pushed this week to like no sugar till Friday. No sugar till Friday. And then Kathy brought home uh, – chocolate covered pretzels last night and it was like i just had to keep like i'm like wait until tomorrow and then you can have a few chocolate covered pretzels um because that is like a weakness for me i love chocolate covered pretzels i i do not keep them ever because i will eat all of them like like it's a normal pretzel you know because i just something about the, the sweet and salty on those just really work they're delicious me. yeah you but used to make I, them I, for christmas yes yeah uh and i i almost never got any of the ones that i would make um because she would pack them up for everybody else and i would just be like hey wait um but, but yeah I these were real good doing this <laughs> yeah yeah i deserve a treat um <laughs> but uh yeah so I'm, I'm glad uh i was able to maintain my goal of not really like eating the um eating sugar but then i was again i had a cookie donut and some chocolate covered pretzels today so probably overdid it although I, I like to take uh, Kumail Ninjani's uh, every Friday. He posts um, his cheat day meals and he goes like ham on desserts Dude, on cheat day. Like, it looks it's crazy. delicious every time. I don't it even does. know what it is sometimes until I read the caption, right. but I still want it. Even when I read the caption, sometimes like I've never heard of that, but <laughs> cool. It looks amazing. Um, and it's not, it's not like it's, I think it's just fancier desserts than what I've ever been privy to. Like I'm like cake, you know, cake, cookie, donut, uh, and Brownie is still, I think, my favorite, like, all-time dessert. Like, I think there's nothing better than a well-made, 
warm brownie out of the oven. Like, I think that's the best dessert. But oh, so good. But that said, um, let's get into what we've been watching. Uh, you want to go first or second this week, Corey? I'll go first. All right. Okay, so I rewatched The Royal Tenenbaums. Mm. I've been wanting to rewatch it. Haven't watched it in a long time. I I really love that movie, and I love Gwyneth Paltrow in it so much as Margot. Um, you know, um, I watched for the first time Dead Poets Society. I did not know you had never seen that. Wow. Yeah, and Bill watched it with me. And how about Bill's like, oh yeah, I've seen this movie. When does that happen? (laughs) You had to watch it in an English class or something. Yes. And then I've been rewatching The Haunting of Bly Manor because I love Danny and Cold Case Files classic. Now, I I got, did you like uh, Dead Poets? Oh, yeah. So it was, it's the first movie that I've watched with Robin Williams in it since he passed away. And it, yes. Makes me Uh, more sad, but. And especially with the ending of that movie. Mm, sorry. Spoiler. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of. I mean, it's not. I, okay, I'm going to stop talking about that. But um, yeah, it was just hard to watch it. I um, I just mm. wanted to watch something I hadn't watched before. And, you know, I know that well, it's highly regarded. And it has Ethan Hawke in it. Young, young Ethan Hawke. Baby, Hawk, like, yeah. Like 13, 15 something year old Ethan Hawke. Mm-hmm. Um, which I was about to point out. Like the little connection to Before Midnight there. Um a little Ethan Hawk for you. Um, well, I watched uh, for Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. I, I caught, finally was able to watch The Trial of Sh- the Chicago 7, the new Aaron Sorkin film that's on Netflix. Uh, oh, man, I enjoyed the movie very much. Uh, there's definitely some problems with it. And um, I am I am a sucker for Sorkin dialogue. So it worked for me. I was so engrossed in the film. Um, there are some definite some liberties. I knew nothing of the true story until watching the the movie, so that always gets me hooked even more when I find a story super compelling. And I also found a lot of that particular story to parallel with things we've seen this year, which is extra interesting because he obviously didn't know what would happen this year. Um, some of it was there, like you could tell. Some of it definitely makes sense, but there's other specific elements that I'm like, wow, that really resonates right now because of the things we've seen this year. So it's kind of crazy. Um, Sorkin is very known to be a liberal, so a lot of his the the views that are expressed are very liberal forward. Uh, but he's a very like specific type of Democrat. So um, then I watched Before Midnight the same day. So I, I actually watched the movie almost a week ago because I watched both of those on Saturday, um, which is unusual for me. Uh, then the big uh, curveball, um, which I thought was kind of funny, uh, Big Tuna watched in one of his classes. He watched Pleasantville. And I've uh, never seen it. I actually remember kind of resisting it um, when it came out because I don't I don't know what I was thinking. It just like it at the time I was as we've talked about before, we both had kind of elitist personalities. There was something about Pleasantville that just seemed beneath me when I was uh, 16 or whatever. Um, so I, I never saw it. I had no interest in it. Um, and then uh, I've, I've like I'm aware of it. It's it's talked about in a lot of film circles because of the use of color and things like that. It's it's a very pr- a film I'm very aware of, but had never seen. And he, he had seen it before, but like it was brought up that I hadn't seen it, and I owned it. Like I apparently recently bought it even, and I don't remember, but I I, I probably got it like for a dollar at one of the pawn shops and then made it digital. So I said I was like I want to watch it, and I'm like 20 minutes into it, and I mentioned to him that I was watching. He's like um, Sean and I are gonna do a. Uh, in, in the, for Christmas break, I'm picking two movies for him to watch. He's picking two movies for me to watch off of our, our uh, watch list, things we actually want to see, but we're going to make the other person watch the two. 
And um, he was like, dang, I was going to have you watch Pleasantville. That was on my list for you to watch. I'm like, oh, my bad. Um, so it was kind of a fun coincidence. But I not only did I really like the movie, I was like kind of blown away by it because it did so many things that I wasn't expecting it to do. And it was not at all the movie I thought it was going to be in like the best way. Um, even like Tobey Maguire's character, who I thought... I, I thought for sure I knew how his arc would play out and it, it did things that I did not expect, which I really liked. I also think that might be the best casting of Tobey Maguire in a movie ever. I think he's like perfect in the role that he's playing. Um, I don't always like him. I don't know if that's known or not, but like, I'm, oh, I'm not a big known. fan of this. Oh, yeah. I am not a big fan <laughs> of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man. Um, not anymore. I was at the time. I, I, I've soured on them severely. I don't think they hold up at all as a Spider-Man fan. Um, and, uh, I do like Reese Witherspoon in many, many things. I, I had forgotten Paul Walker, a very young Paul Walker was in, uh, Pleasantville. So that was kind of sad. Um, and, uh, Jeff, Jeff Daniels, who is terrific in the movie, um, love him. And I was like, Oh, look, Jeff Daniels. And so, yeah, I, I had a really good time with it. Um, and then I was, I've actually used two clips from it for different, uh, quick activities with my film classes because I, it it did things for me that I was just like, man, I'm really all about this movie. So it's one of those times where you're like, uh, putting off a movie for a long time, thinking there's no way this movie's for me, and then finding out, oh, wait, this movie was totally for me. Why did I wait so long to watch it? Um, so that's always a good kind of experience, right? Like when you find out, that, oh, no, I actually really like this movie. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's one I'm going to, uh, in the future, I'm definitely going to try to teach. It's a little challenging because there is the uh, the sexuality kind of built into the film, but it's all it's all tame, but you also very much know what's going on. Like there's the the mother masturbates in the bathtub sequence where it's like they don't show it, but you, you you have to be kind of oblivious to not get what they're saying, you know, Um, which I guess could happen. But uh, I I then got like super busy where like my nights were just like gone. So I'd have no time to watch a movie, but I started watching uh, HBO max has all of the DC universe shows now. Um, the DC Universe was a one of the many billion streaming services that have started in the last couple of years, and they have a bunch of original programming. And one of the things that had caught my eye early was the TV series Titans. Um, I was a, always a really big fan of the Teen Titans, and um, I've always been a huge fan of Robin in general, Dick Grayson first, and then I'm a big Tim Drake fan. And this was going to be the first like live action uh, Titan um, show with. It's, it's kind of got the DC dark and gritty thing going, which is a little tiresome. But um, I really uh, have wanted to give it a chance. I have no hopes for it. I think I'm like four episodes in. I've been kind of just throwing it on in the background. And I'm, it's not great. Um, some of the, the visual effects are real bad. Uh, but it's, you know, it's like a low budget kind of show. But it's still... It still works for me because I like the characters, uh, even if they're not necessarily being portrayed in the way that I want them to be portrayed. Um, I'm still interested to see what they're going to do with the characters. So no matter how kind of teen drama it gets and or how, uh, you know, unnecessarily violent, like some of the violence is ridiculous, especially for a uh, comic TV series. Like cause that's it's not like Arrow or Flash. It's got tons of blood and very, very violent. Um and that's not even like the comics because the Titans have always been more kid friendly. This is like, these are more like uh, college years Titans. Like they're just, just older. Um, but it's, it's still entertaining. And again, if you're a fan of like the comics, it still has, there's enough there to, gr- to pull me in at least. And so I, I've been casually watching it. Like I'm definitely just throwing it on in the background. I'm content with not uh, 
paying attention i i will complain though their audio mixing is real bad like there are times where i'm like turning my volume up to like mm. well i know volumes by scale based on the tv but it's way louder than normal like if i usually keep my volume at about 10 i can hear everything fine i'm like turning it up to like 25 for some scenes because i'm like i don't know what you're saying it is so quiet like why are you whispering like that is not good tv um but yeah but overall um it's fine it's it's definitely not something I'm, I'm not recommending it unless you are a hardcore like dc nerd and you just want anything with batman related content which is me so i'm watching it um also the reason i'm watching it is season three is going to drop on hbo max and they're uh the red hood who is the second robin um is going to show up and i'm like well crap now i really have to watch it because that's that's a robin that uh that was the Robin that the fans voted to kill in the eighties. Um, like they actually wanted him to die because they didn't like Jason Todd. Uh, so Joker kills him. It's a big uh, issue arc. Death of the family. It's a huge, it's been done, done, done. And he's later brought back um, through the Lazarus pit. Which I'm getting very comic book nerd. Um, but uh, he, he takes on the moniker of the red hood, which was the way the Joker's original. And one of the versions of the origin story of the Joker was the red hood at first, very violent, uh, kind of the punisher of the dc in some ways and um he became awesome and so i'm a big fan of the red hood design and everything so when i saw they were going to bring him live action i was like okay i have to watch the show now so <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm, I'm getting through it but nice. <clears throat> that's that's what i've been watching um i got I'm, i got big plans for this week though on thanksgiving break i'm gonna try to watch a few more things um i did get my copy of ghost dog in uh yesterday Yay. so i'm really uh really really excited to give that a watch i'm definitely gonna watch this this week um i didn't even put it on my shelf yet because i'm like nope that's getting watched uh too too excited to give that a go and then i might try to watch at least one or two more of the criterion that i've got um which i think leads into our movie of the week so we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we're gonna get into our review of before midnight and we are back so let's take a look at the stats before midnight 2013 um nine years after before sunset and nine years before that was before sunrise uh so 18 years between the first movie and the second uh the third movie excuse me um has a 7.9 imdb user rating 94 metascore uh directed again by richard linklater the lead actors ethan hawk julie delphi and unlike the other movies there's actually a bunch of talking characters in this one we get uh samson davy fitzpatrick Jennifer Pryor, Charlotte Pryor, uh, Zenia, oh boy, uh, Calo Jeropolo, um, Walter Lassily, Ariane Labed, I'm trying to say that one wrong, and then Giannis Papadopoulos, uh, and that might be everybody that actually has a speaking role. Um, hard to tell, but there are definitely more characters, uh, and for longer moments than the other two films uh, at all. Even, um, I forget, oh, uh, Seamus Davy Fitzpatrick was the son who gets a major scene. I think of the three movies, this is the only one where there's a extended sequence of conversation that isn't the main two characters. Um, but it's uh, Jesse and Hank, his son, talking in the airport for the first like ten minutes, I think, before we finally see Celine. Um, we have watched all three now of the Before trilogy. Something that Corey and I, uh, I had been longing to watch for a while, and I know Corey was on her radar. Um, we now have both purchased the Criterion Collection because we like these movies so we much. Um, so, you know, uh, Linklater, um, I would say hit or miss for me, but when it hits, it hits real hard, and this one hit real hard. Uh, so I absolutely love this movie. I, um, 
we're also both big fans of Boyhood, which now I feel like I have to get on Criterion because um, I have the other movies that I love. Uh, when School of Rock August. getting a Criterion, guys? What's happening? Come on. Let's get School of Rock the Criterion it deserves. Um, I want Jack Black and Kyle Gass commentary. Um, maybe a musical version. Tenacious D sings everything. Um, but but seriously, I, I, I have grown to be a Linklater fan. Um, you know, I really became... I'd seen some of his movies before the Kevin Smith bio, but that was the, the moment that I really looked into him as a director and started having, you know, initially critical because he does seem very gimmicky. <laughs> But now I've really grown to one. I, I don't think it's a gimmick in the traditional sense of a gimmick. Like he doesn't do it because he's expecting to make a lot of money from it. I think he genuinely likes to experiment. And I, I like that. And also, like, I think it's obvious that he likes working with if he likes working with someone, he really likes working with them. So, you know, like because how many of his movies? I mean, Ethan Hawke was in Boyhood. I can't remember if he's in any other ones. Yes. And then, like, I mean, he has the same two characters for these three movies. And, I mean, we're not positive, but it doesn't seem like this was going to be a trilogy, you know? Like, no. So I, I, and I feel that way with Boyhood too. Like, watching them grow up, or well, well I mean, that was definitely planned, right? Like that. Yeah, was that part. yeah. But, but like, he if he didn't want to have the same actors he could have just hired someone else like True. and had the movie done much quicker so i'm just gonna pretend he really ah, likes his cast fair point no because that's what no normally a person if a character ages they don't wait the time for the actor to age they just get a different actor to play the role or they put makeup on him mm -hmm. um that's not link later style um the trilogy i watched an interview with uh ethan hawk and, and julie delphi uh, moments before we started recording uh, it was just like a three minute q a through the oscars and um like they had like someone would read the questions you didn't hear the question but uh they were they were super funny they were having a hard time like being serious with their answers and it just it just felt like you were watching them from the movie and one of the, the one of the only serious answers they really gave was how they went for realism like they said uh the one thing whenever they were working together if it felt like they were acting they'd have to do it again because it was always about making it feel authentic and real and natural. i think that's kind of natural and i think that's linklater's kind of mo more than anything when i think about his films is so many of them try to feel genuine um i think even dazed and confused mm -hmm. with the exception maybe of like well i think mcconaughey's character mm -hmm. feels a little like phony but he's not the main character right like he's just a character um i think throughout the film though like you have so much that just feels real and and that's what the movie's going for and i think uh, everybody wants some kind of does the same thing which is kind of the spiritual sequel to uh dazed and confused um, I, I don't think that was School of Rock exactly, but there is definitely, like, he, he cast kids who could actually play instruments. So, like, the, the musical part of School of Rock is real. Like, those kids are playing those instruments. They are playing those songs. And that's, uh, that's where he went with the realism there. Like, let's get really talented musicians and let's make a musical. Okay, cool. There's that, that thing. Um, I've not watched Flag for Your Fathers, or Flag for, something like Flag that. Flag for Fathers. Um, with with Carell and uh, um, Lawrence Fishburne and Brian Cranston, um, which I've heard mixed things, but it's one I, I do want to watch at some point. Obviously boyhood has that realism. So like, I, I, I like that because it's not, it's not at the, uh, the loss of anything. I think it's, it's, he's looking for them to tap into. I, I don't feel like he's trying to make a documentary either. Like they, they are performances, but he wants the performances to feel so lived in and so genuine 
and man does he crush it with the before trilogy like they especially to me the the scene where i think that was at the most risk was the big dinner sequence or uh, lunch br- brunch i don't know what meal they're eating but the there's like seven people at a table who we've not seen before we don't know what their um uh, acting abilities are and that felt so real to me like that we were just sitting with obnoxious family members um who were maybe a little too into our business and like you know there's um my grandpa who's been dead now for a long time um 14 years um he used to always shock me because he would say like out of nowhere just some very like dirty or inappropriate comment not like in not in a way that's like inappropriate where it was rude it was just like the the shock value you know the humor like where you wouldn't expect him to say that joke and he would be the one that would drop the joke like uh i can't think of what they say exactly but there's they're talking about sex at one point at the table and like they're making a little little you know innuendo and whatnot and it just seems like they're more comfortable than most people would have been in that scenario at least that i've ever experienced i wondered too if that's their culture very 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 possible for sure uh i i can't speak to that for sure but it you know i from an american uh perspective where especially in the community that we've grew up in some of that stuff you would only say with very close friends or whatever and from my understanding they weren't family it sounded like there was more like a like they ended up together for some other like academic purpose was what i was gathering i i didn't quite follow oh the whole structure of that but the, am i wrong the older gentleman <clears throat> it's his home and it sounded like every year he invites a different author there like yes as a yes. retreat um and i thought that it was through a local university or something Yes, and that's what I meant by it. So I, I, I'm correct, um, ultimately. I mean, some of the details are a little fuzzy at this point. But but they were, that's, what, that's I guess what I'm saying, is like that was not a, like, it felt like a family dinner, but it wasn't. Like they all knew each other for a while. Uh, yeah, they and the, but they had been together for a little while. Like that's the implication. They were there all summer, right? So it's not like it was the first dinner with these people. But my point is that it felt so genuine, despite it being a bunch of people we've never seen act in any of his movies or anything you know, I don't know how long they got to to prep, but um, I, I my point is it was is to be very complimentary to Linklater for being able to pull that off because it did seem so genuine, so real, and I I really enjoyed this movie just as much as I enjoyed the first two. Um, and I I think this the end of this movie without getting into exactly why, but I think the trilogy as a whole really does fit the love stinks element because. While there is always good, there the movies do showcase a lot of the like the the struggle that love is, um, but I also think it it contextualizes that struggle at the end of this film in a very important way that I again won't get into details, but I, I think it still qualifies as love stinks, but I think also it, it has an optimistic tone at the same time without it being just like God well, it's complicated awful. like love is complicated. Yeah, it's I don't know. You have to work at it. You it's never which i think is so i think that's a a problem that a lot of people have is that they don't want to do the work um you know you just want it to be easy and that's i don't think that's you know it'd be nice sure but i don't think that's you know what yeah maybe not but i don't think that's what qualifies uh for like a relationship to be good again that's not to say like if you're being beat that's not what i'm saying right like i'm saying like if it's Sometimes you irritate each other. That's okay. You don't you always know? agree. You're not always going to yeah. see eye to eye. It's not, you know. 
exactly. Um, so I've said a lot. Uh, I I I know you like this too. I, I didn't even question that, but I, I assume. Um, so what do you think, Corey? Um, so first, I want to correct ourselves. Uh, Flags of Our Fathers. That's a Clint Eastwood movie. <laughs> the movie we mm. were looking for was Last Flag Flying. That's it. That's Flag what it's called. Linklater. I've never seen that movie, but I do remember seeing the advertisement for it, but I should watch it also. Um, so yes, I liked this movie. I also couldn't wait to watch it, so I can't remember if I watched it on Saturday or Sunday. <sighs> and then, you know, at the end of the first one and at the end of the second one, both times Bill watched them with me. And he's like, that's it. We don't find out what's happening. So, of course, I had to watch it again. <laughs> so, the Bill would oh. know. So, I watched both the second one and third one twice. Um, I really liked it. Um, you know, I have some opinions on some things, obviously. Yes. Uh, but I, I really liked it. I liked, um, I think the first one was my least favorite. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Because... I don't know. I felt like it wasn't quite as natural as the second and third one. Like, which I think makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does make sense. But it's I don't know. Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. Just because it makes sense doesn't mean it's enjoyable, right? Like, it, yeah, they're both young actors at the time. Sure, they're gonna and they're they're trying to figure out this realism. They have not worked together before. By the second movie, they've worked together at least once. They've got a lot of years under their belt. Um, I think. Uh, most people would agree that Hawk gets good about that time period when the second movie comes out. So, yeah, I think that's a, a very real point of view. You know, and also I want to tiptoe back to the second movie because I started to talk about it when we talked about that movie. And I was talking about how I had my I always watch with subtitles and I wouldn't have known until the end of the movie. But the song at the beginning of that movie is sung by Julie Delpy. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I just thought that was cool. But I agree. I really, I love this movie. I I could watch the second and third one, like, you know. Yeah, um, um, and the, the third one, I think, um, one of the things I think it does differently than a lot of trilogies is, uh, I feel like this one is actually the most serious in a lot of ways. Like, I feel like, um... The first one is all like exciting, like everything's up. There's really not a down moment in that movie until they have to say goodbye, right? Mm -hmm. Everything's like everything's fresh, which it's it's a really strong representative of like new love, right? Everything's perfect. There's nothing. You are a perfect individual. Even the little like arguments they get into are like cute little arguments, right? The second movie is a rekindling of that and trying to re. Can we have that same feeling that we had nine years ago? Um. And there's more adult struggle there, but this movie is now he's he's a father um, who uh, he was a father in the second movie, but he was like still married to the wife. So now he's a divorced father who's living overseas uh, with the and so not being there for his kid. Normally, his son has been with him all summer. That's what that opening scene is. So there's that. Then we find out that they have twins together. And so, like, we've missed a few years of them. Like, I think the girls are like six or so. I think they were so seven. So we missed. Okay, seven. Oh, you might but be still... right. Either way, it's in the mm -hmm. ballpark. Um, it's mm -hmm. not. I'm looking at the Wikipedia. It does not say their age. It just says they have twins. But um, and then they get a night to themselves. Uh, the the friends at this place give them a hotel. Um, like we want you to have this night to enjoy or whatever. And it's like they they try to back out of it and they say no no no. Um, but so then we, we just have this much more 
mature kind of look at at their relationship because this is now nine years they're not married still it's which i i was a little surprised by yeah and it's actually a relationship um like Mm -hmm. you know they it's not like touch and go or you know like it's very invested committed yeah right the first two movies it's all kind of up in the air and this one is like no no we've been together for a long time and uh are we going to be able to to keep things going can we still have the spark can we are we still in love in love and so i think it it goes very deep and dark for the third movie of of the trilogy which i think if you were like let's look at uh back to the future trilogy you know back to the future 2 has the darkest moments uh empire strikes back ends on a really big downbeat um i don't really truthfully remember lord of the rings that well so i i feel like the middle movie ends on a downbeat um and this one, like, if anything, I'd say the second movie ends on a huge upbeat with that that line that she says, like, you're, you're going to miss your flight. And he's like, I know. You know like, <laughs> you're just like, oh, my God. Where this one. You're cheating on your wife. It, I don't care. <laughs> right. This one ends. We won't say how just yet. But it, it's definitely a much more serious movie, I think, collectively, because it is a lot more of a struggle. Um, because unlike the first movie, they're getting to know each other. The second movie, they're getting to re-know each other. This movie, they've known each other. And it's trying to basically say that, like, yes, I accept that you're not perfect. But, and that doesn't always go over well. That but doesn't always work. Sometimes it causes a lot of drama. So I I thought that was really an interesting uh, element to this one. But I guess we've said a lot. Maybe we should get into spoilers. Guys, from here on out, we're going to talk about Before Midnight in great detail. You have been warned. So I also rewatched the last scene um, before recording because I wanted to really I felt like I watched it twice and I kept zoning out on his speech. And I was like, I don't know what he just said. Um, like I would I didn't realize until it was over. I'm like, I don't I didn't catch any of that. Like I totally spaced out. Wait, what? So At I the table? To, yeah. Okay. And not it was not a criticism to the movie. It was me. I was just like checking out. It was late. And I was like, um, it'd been a long day on Saturday and I was like, okay, I probably shouldn't have watched back-to-back movies that mattered because it was too much of my attention. Mm. Um, so I wanted to re- rewatch it and I did, and I was able to, I had headphones on this time. So like, I was really like checked in. Um, and I, I did, I heard more of it than I thought. I, I guess I kept thinking I was missing something um, because it does, it kind of does. It ends in a way that says there could be another movie. Cause it's just like them at the table. They're talking about their, like having a good sex night again. And it just kind of goes, we just like fade away from them. Like the camera's literally pulling away and it fades out. And so I kept thinking I must have missed something because it feels a little anticlimactic, but not at the same time. Like, I think it ends exactly how these movies should end. But at the same time, I was like, I must have missed something. I clearly missed something. There's no way I didn't miss something. And I, I but I, I missed a few words here and there. Um, but I, I, like you said, this movie ends um where they're they're struggling like to 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 be what the other one needs and it's it's intense well i still think that kind of they're getting wrapped up in the same thing that a lot of other people do though that there isn't going to be struggle or and i Mm. i noticed like watching it the second time that he is a low-key jerk like Some of the things that he says to her when they're having the conversation and stuff. Guys, I identify with Celine so much. Like, I get so passionate about things. And, like, it's not, 
I don't know. I get I get emotional emotional about things and like I can get upset kind of easily, I would think. Like I'm just gonna say that's the Pisces in me. I totally don't follow like star science or any of that <laughs> stuff, but um sometimes <laughs> that stuff speaks to me. I'm like, maybe I maybe I do. Um but like I, I can identify with that so much and but then I'm not mad for long. But the things that he's like saying to her, it's like I don't know like very belittling i guess like maybe he's just mad too but i don't feel like she's necessarily so, going in for an attack on him personally and he calls her crazy okay. yeah so i not proudly really relate to jesse you what um i relate to him and, uh... <laughs> bill i could see bill because he's still trying to keep his cool you know mm-hmm. that's just it he he is doing what i do which is I put logic over emotion. Nope. Every time. Never. And so <laughs> I, I he, every to me, like, I'm like, okay, his arguments are sound, but hearing someone else say them, I totally get why people would think it's a jerk. And like, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, and I agree with him, but you sound like an, an a-hole and I don't, I don't like it because I feel like that's probably how I sound way more than I want to, because I, I do. I, I feel like I am very capable of forming a logical argument and up against an emotional argument. It always does seem much more rational. And a lot of times those emotional arguments do feel crazy. I'm not saying they're genuinely crazy, but it's easy to dismiss them as such. And so I am a hundred percent guilty of doing some of the things he did there. And I, I hate it. I'm not proud of it. It's because like, because I don't want to belittle someone's emotions. He's, insulting her then he says that he loves her singing and then he insults her again and it's like i have a lot of personal reasons for a lot of things that i do in my life that we don't necessarily need to get into for the podcast but it's like i i can understand where she's coming from like that she doesn't have any time or that she doesn't have any choice or that she has all these things going on and like i can you know what i mean i i'm not saying that men or fathers or husbands don't do that too i just and i don't know if it's because women the women that i've been around naturally like gravitate and like take over those things i don't Mm. i don't know why i don't know why but it's just like i don't i i miss some of it when i watch it the first time and i just couldn't and it's like he won't actually like own up to stuff either he won't own up that Mm. he just wants her to move to chicago chicago he won't own up that he slept with another woman while they've been together instead that part bothers counters it with he knows that she messed around with an ex-boyfriend which she doesn't deny that so if somebody said that to me there's health bay you know what i mean yeah but like it it i don't know he he won't like take ownership of stuff no, yeah, he definitely um, is not wanting to be responsible for things. Um, I, 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 I think though the dynamic of the relationship is still very compelling, and I, I think they both have things at fault. Um, I think he gets jealous because Hank clearly connected with her, and we see that twice. Yes. Which, but I also think I do think to a degree that she's being unreasonable about the son situation. Um, what do you mean? Not well. Okay, she knew he had a son. 
right? Mm -hmm. She has already lived in the U.S. beforehand, too, which I think is an important detail to keep in mind. It's not like she's never left Europe. She lived in New York when they were not together, right? Mm -hmm. So, and, and... Oh, go ahead. Well, if, like, the tables were turned and um, she left jesse and jesse kept the twins or whatever right like for some reason um would she like and she got with another guy would she not want to be close to the twins you know what i mean like i feel like if if it was your kid far away well, wouldn't you want to try at least give or at least you know be willing to discuss it and she didn't seem like she was willing to discuss the potential and he also seemed like he wasn't being direct about it and that that bothered me. He's like, dude, if that's what you want to happen, let's have the conversation. And it, like at first, it was like very, no, no, you're being silly. It's not anything. But clearly, he was thinking about it. Oh yeah. Well, here, but they were living in the U.S. They were living in New York right before she gave birth to their twins. And then they came back to Paris because she wanted to be with her mom when she had this labor. I guess she said it was going to be difficult. Right. And then his mom flew him off to Chicago. Hank's mom. Yeah, Hank's mom did. Yeah. So yes. it's like I could I mean she's already been willing to live there in New York. Maybe she doesn't want to live in Chicago and maybe they should have an unemotional <laughs> logical I don't know. I feel like I mean I I don't think either of them are is wrong. I no. think is more what I'm saying. Oh yeah. But I at the same time I do think his case of like I think wanting to be a good parent and be with your kid Especially because they say, like, the mom's not good. It's not like the mom's, like, a great parent. It sounds like the mom's a really bad parent. Yeah. And so that's, like, it's a shame. I mean, you could get into, like, well, it's a shame that he can't get custody because that's, that's, uh, our American court system is very much geared towards keeping the, the kid with the mother. Mm -hmm. Even trying to take the kid away from the mother usually looks bad on the father. Um, and I'm not saying that's always the case. Sometimes, it, it you know, the fathers are not good or they are they are just trying to get out of the child support or whatever that's not the vibe i got from jesse like right and no. it sounds like the mom is actually bad so like that's a problem in another way but like given that and the fact that they could be close to the son because there's not really a reason that they couldn't be other than she doesn't want you get what i'm saying like i feel like being with the kid especially if the kid is in a bad situation should override a lot of the personal like complaints you know what i mean like she could even counter maybe we should fight for custody or whatever i'd be more okay with that at least than just outright saying i'm not gonna move because i don't want to because it's like well but but also but kid but also she said that they only will get him every other weekend they're not you know what i mean like yeah but every other weekend still way more than like two months in the summer right like you could still be and even if you don't have him have him he could go to like football games and things like that you know he was talking about uh soccer. hockey or something soccer um and granted the kid doesn't want to play soccer or whatever fine but still like he could go to the musical thing that the kid was doing or whatever you know he didn't like, want his dad there the same... i i know because Corey, his mom that's a kid <sighs> i but i get i but see that's just it the kid is trying to also he's he's doing what a kid would do he's trying to protect his mom he's trying to keep peace i, I get that i think it's so funny when he asks why does your mom still hate me well, I wonder. Yeah. Like, even if it wasn't but, the best marriage, I mean, who wants to be cheated on? <laughs> right. He shouldn't cheat on her. I, I'm, I'm a, I am 100% that's never an okay option because you can always just end the thing. 
um you know yes they'll be hurt if you end the thing but they'll be more hurt if you end the thing after you cheated on them already um i i i think it's necessary to comment um the first two movies uh there's sex implied <laughs> this movie no i think this is a really i think this is something i want link later to get credit for there is a stigma in hollywood that once an actress turns 40 they are basically resigned to playing like motherly grandmotherly type roles uh with some exceptions obviously some some actresses don't look 40 or things like that but very very often a, a woman it's specifically actresses that yeah. get this uh treatment um and so for julie delphi to not have done nudity in the first two films and then do a nude scene in her mid 40s well topless. i think is huge topless yes but still i mean for the most part nude scenes in hollywood movies are topless scenes right like very few actresses have had to go like full full nude that's visible and there are obviously nc-17 movies and stuff where that is the case but for the most part topless is is the extreme for hollywood and i think um one in no way am i implying she's not a beautiful woman or anything like that Uh, i'm saying hollywood wouldn't normally allow that now Linklater is far from a hollywood style filmmaker he is Mm -hmm. an indie filmmaker at the heart but again he's for the most part not used nudity I, i i don't believe there's i don't I've seen Days and Confused more on like re- like on USA and stuff, so I don't Fair. know for sure that there's no nudity. But I don't think there's nudity in Days and Confused. Um, f- I only saw Everybody Wants Some once. That's a and that's a college like geared movie, and I don't think there was nudity in that movie. Uh, School of Rock is a family film. Boyhood, I don't think there was nudity in Boyhood unless he like looked at a Playboy or something. But I don't think there was an actress nude in, in Boyhood. Um, <laughs> So it's it's not something Linklater generally throws into his movies, which I think is telling about this scene. It makes perfect sense. Um, it's also it's more or less it's not played for comedy, but it's played for the idea that um, life has definitely gotten in between the romance, you know, because they're like they're ready to have sex, like they are in the midst of it, and then a phone call happens, and it's like they literally she fights topless for like half of the half of that scene. She's topless, and they're fighting. They're not it's not sexual at all and i think it really works for the scene because it it felt natural um you know like i don't know i've known people in my life who are more prone to being naked if there's just them and their spouse right um like not not in a sexual way just like they're just like i don't like clothes and if it's just us i'm not wearing clothes and that was what i got that that scene felt like that at that point you know when it when it dissolved into the fight and she stayed topless. It was like, wow, this feels real. Like these aren't because in a movie, if a woman starts fighting with the guy, they usually start putting their bra on. They're getting their high heels. They're getting ready to storm out. And she's just like, screw you, bud. You've seen these. You've seen my tits before. They're out. We're fighting. Like it's it it's, you know. And also as an actress, I, I you got to give her like so much credit because that's that's not how you would normally play that scene in in a movie like topless right like it's just it's it was really i was like wow definitely can never teach this movie but i'm very impressed with the like the whole like it's just it's it it doesn't break away from what this films have been and it's it's you know it didn't feel exploitative or anything either like that like it wasn't like he's like finally after three movies i'm gonna make her topless like it didn't feel like that right like it felt like this is what these two characters would have happened. They would have been ready to have sex. Something like this would make it ruin the moment, but they wouldn't immediately just, you know, put their clothes back on. I, I was laughing because this movie's rated R and I watch so many shows that are like on Netflix and stuff. 
and they're like rated mature and then it tells you why and it's like smoking or language and then the language isn't even bad so i just think it's so funny like i guess the difference between movies and shows would this movie be they they smoked in the second one but that was much older i don't know Uh, 2004 smoking would have probably gotten the r rating okay i just think it's so funny because she is topless for a long time i don't know the ratings just are so funny to me um and I don't know if there's, like, a difference between TV and movies, but, um, yeah. Uh, I just, I don't know. I, I haven't seen anything else with her in it, but I'm interested in... Um, did you not see uh, But I'm a Cheerleader? Oh my god! Yes? Not in a long time. Yeah, she's in that. She's in that. I don't remember who she plays in it, but she is in it. I've been wanting to rewatch that anyway. I just watched it, like... I don't know for sure because time is a construct, but I feel like I watched it this year, but it might have been last year. Um, oh, she's in Broken Flowers. Uh, yeah, but that's, for the most part, I've not seen anything else with her in it, but um, I'm looking at the uh, IMDb Parent Guide. Oh, well, I'm trying to, at least. Uh, where is it? There it is. I wonder how um, how many times they had to like refilm these scenes, especially, I feel like this one is the most complex yeah there's uh the set pieces um i feel like we're in the hotel room for a lot longer than we're in the other films um like there is there's still the extended scenes of them walking and talking but i feel like there's i think the second movie is a lot more mobile Mm -hmm. Uh, like even even when they are sitting like they're on the boat for a while so like it's still moving like the background's still changing here like we're in the the at dinner for a while we're in the um we're in the car even for a little while we're in the the hotel room for a while then we're at that table at the end you know i don't like how he treats her when they are checking into the hotel and the person that works at the hotel wants him to sign the books that's fine but then she wants her to sign the books too and she doesn't want to and he's like she'd be happy to and i was like "Mm." yeah and i i get it isn't a lot to ask or whatever but she i get what she was saying too like i didn't write this i don't want to put my name like i'm not signing something i didn't have any creative input on you know and also she um, doesn't like to identify with that character in the book like that which i think that's kind of like by signing it she's almost like saying yes this is me you know um but i also i do get where he's coming from because he's thinking i don't think he's right but I think his, like, this is a fan. I want the fans to be happy so they keep buying my book kind of thing, you know? Um, but at the same time, like, not cool to, like, force. Because like, he, he is very, like, short about it, too. Like, it's not. And that's the thing with Jesse in general. He's never, he never sounds mean or rude in terms of, like, his tone of voice. He's always very level-headed and cool and calm. But some of the things he says are very, very biting. Mm -hmm. And again, I sadly connect with that in a way that I'm not proud of because I can be, I can be very, I guess I'm cruel. I don't mean to be. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, there's a, there's an edge to my, when I'm mad, uh, especially you can tell that my words have a, um, sting, a, a sharpness to them. Yeah. And I don't always know that I'm doing it. And that's why I'm not proud of it because it's not something I'm like, hey, look what I can do. It's like usually if I've hit the wrong mood, 
I can be very, very biting. And um, I so I get like I I get that with him as like I'm like he's saying it in a nice way, but he's definitely meaning it to hurt. Like he wants to make sure that like nope, you're gonna feel that. Um, but it, it's a complex film series, and that's one of the things I really like about it is like these are not simple characters. They are very, very complex have a lot of like they feel very lived in and it's it's just awesome yes i want to say though that my heart broke when she told him that she doesn't love him anymore yes and i don't think you should but he didn't believe it if you don't mean it yeah i think that's i think her emotional swings i think he does call her out on i think is is quite accurate to be honest yeah um because she does yeah she's very like quick to like go to the extremes and that's a great example because she clearly still loves him. Like, Maybe there's she's no, I don't, has... I've never said that to my husband. <laughs> but yeah, I, I was, I'm glad when he, he makes a lot of effort to, he does make a lot of effort to keep it cool, you know? Yeah. Like him going out there and making up. <laughs> like... The whole letter. <laughs> yeah. The time machine. <laughs> Bless you. Thank you. Welcome. So that made me happy because if it would have ended on that note, I would have cried and been mad at you. <laughs> like, what did you make I wouldn't know. <laughs> I know. Well, he's he's ready to walk away. No, he's not. And um, well, he is, but like not. Like, yeah, you're right. You're right. It, he is saying like, if I don't know, I I got that last part when he was just like, look, if you if you really think that about me, then we're done or whatever. And then, um. Obviously, he's he doesn't want to leave because he doesn't get up and walk away. Like he sits there, like huffing and puffing for a few seconds before. I love when she joins in on the joke, though. When she's like, "Well, about this time, machine, how does it work? <laughs> do I have to be nude?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, like, I I do love that he becomes an author in these movies because I do love like the little ways that it works itself into the movies. Like when they're walking mm-hmm. to the hotel and she's like, "Oh, I thought you were going to tell me the other story that I love," or even like this with the you know the letter and the oh yeah clothes don't travel well yeah that was really funny yeah um and i i just i I really enjoy them um i i am i kind of hope they do one more but at the same time i don't know what we would do it's nine years later so it would be 22 so it's still possible um maybe that they have gotten married um their twins would now be like about to graduate hank would have graduated um so like yeah there's things like that you're just like oh wow um i don't know if i if we need that or not but that's the thing is if they make another one it could it could break the franchise and also because there's a criterion box set called the trilogy i don't (sighs) want them to make a fourth movie Um, but i like these characters so much i know i know that's the, the the hard part is like i am curious to see what happens next but I, I also don't want the odds. to be wrecked. Oh, I'm looking at my stats on uh, Letterbox, and um, a link later because of this trilogy has pulled into my top ten directors that I've watched, mm. uh, tied with um, Hao Miyazaki uh, at eleven films, and he has a few that I've not seen. So link later will move up past him. Um, I love looking at these stats on Letterbox, but uh, any guesses on who my number one? director is who i've seen the most movies from so i have a question is it just like the pure number of movies or is it like a percentage of that director's films uh pure number of movies i've seen by said director 
Hitchcock or Scorsese? Uh, Scorsese's on the list, um, but no. At Hitchcock, I have painfully not seen that many uh, films. Um, I've seen the big five like many, many times, and I'm I'm almost at double digits with him. I think I am like, uh, oh, oh, I'm wrong. He is tied. I have a wow. Number one. One, two, three, four, five. No, he's tied for uh, Hitchcock is tied for number nine. Shoot. I guess is what it would be. Um, I have Richard Linklater. <gasps> I know Howard who Hizaki, it is. Hitchcock, M Night Shyamalan, Richard Donner. Hold making on. Eleven films for each. It's Cohen. It's the Cohens. You're very close. The uh, Joel Wes and Anderson. Ethan are. are Wes has a problem. Wes only has ten films. Um, his eleventh oh. film should have come out, and I did. I, we we didn't get it yet, so I haven't seen it. I've seen all of Anderson's films, but he's only got ten. That's why I think so. You're in the right ballpark. The Coens are eighteen. I've seen eighteen of the Coens, films, which is all of them. But I've seen more from an, uh, and the Co- Cohen is tied with Robert Zemeckis, who I've seen all of his films, but Flight and Beowulf. Uh, Tim Burton is number four. I've seen all 17 of Burton's films. Um, Spike Lee has moved up to number five because I've been on a Spike Lee binge and I've seen almost all of his films at this point. And actually, that's not true. There are several still for me to see from Spike because Spike has pretty much made a movie a year and he does documentaries and oh. stuff too that I've not gotten into. Um, so I have a lot. Spike can easily get to number one at the rate You're gonna I'm going to say it. But no. I'm going to be mad at myself. Y- you are. You're going to be very mad. It's not Christopher cause Nolan because pr- he doesn't have that many. Not enough. And I haven't seen Tenet yet. So he's tied at 10. I have several. Uh, my So at number nine starts the uh, Linklater, Hao Miyazaki, Alfred Hitchcock, M. Night Shyamalan, and Richard Donner. I've seen 11 films each. Then it goes to number 10, um, or to 10 films. And Michael Bay, Dennis Duggan, Michael Mann, Quentin Tarantino, Wes Anderson, Christopher Nolan, all tied for 10. Because uh, I've seen 10 films of theirs. But Tarantino, Anderson, and Nolan only have 10 films. And Michael Mann may only have 10 because i'm pretty sure i've watched all of his movies because of the blank check podcast but there might be one that i skipped because i couldn't get a hold of there is for sure one i could not get a hold of so uh he has more movies that i've just not seen at least one of i love that dennis dugan is on this list because he is like who no one knows who dennis dugan is but he directed like a lot of the early sandler films so oh. <laughs> uh, yeah so i've seen like all of those um just tell me no i don't uh, know it's steven spielberg, spielberg. I I have seen 25 of Spielberg's films, and I still have some gaps on that list, uh, um, which include that I now own because I bought the Spielberg box set. But 1941, I've never seen um, his uh, first film, um, Duel, I believe is the name of the movie. I've never seen. And um, uh, there's one more, like an early film that I just got. I bought the Steven Spielberg box set. I don't remember what the – maybe it was uh, Prime Day? It was Prime Day. I got it for like – 15 bucks and it was like a killer uh blu-ray box set so i was super stoked it's all early movies um including jaws on blu-ray which i did not have on blu-ray so i was very excited to get a copy of jaws on blu-ray but yeah i've seen almost all of spielberg's films um i think the only new film i've not seen of no i think i've seen all of his new films yeah i've seen all of his new films um oh no i will not watch warhorse i have no interest in warhorse um and I have only seen part of BFG because that was when my house got broken into. We were at the theater watching it, found out that our house had been broken into uh, right in the first 10 minutes of the movie. Um, so we had to dip out. But um, so, And I have no desire to go back to that movie because of that, because of the bad connections to uh, the moment where I found out some punk kids had broken into our house. Um, but that's that was irrelevant. I apologize for going on that tangent. It's but man, um, 
it's movies. So, listeners, we are done with the Before Trilogy, but we're not done with Love Stinks. We have one more movie, and this is the one Corey actually chose to watch versus me forcing, but now apparently very happy that I forced um, because she loves this trilogy. Uh, But we are going to be watching um, a Sam Mendes film that I have not seen, Corey has not seen, called Revolutionary Road. With uh, It's the reunion of Jack and Rose. It's Leo and Kate Winslet. Um, and it's sad that I felt the need to like only say Leo, but have to say her full name. But, uh, oh, there's some other big actors in this. David Harbour's in this. Kathy Bates is in this. Oh. And did you know, Corey, that Michael Shannon's in this? I love him. I love him, too. Um, and Zoe Kazan, who's in The Big Sick. Uh, I haven't I seen her in many movies. So I'm excited to see it. Yeah, um. The movie is uh, as a po- mainly positive rating. Um, a young couple living in the Connecticut suburb during the mid-1950s struggle to come to terms with their personal problems while trying to raise their two children based on a Richard Yates novel. So, you know, I'm a big... I don't know who Richard Yates is. Uh, movies from 2008, directed by Sam Mendes, who most recently directed 1917, which is an awesome movie from 2019 that you should watch. Um, Do you remember that? And uh, Going to the movies? I miss going to the movies so, 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 so much. Um, I have seen a few of his movies. I have seen 1917. I've seen Spectre. Um, I forgot he did Spectre, actually. I, I don't like Spectre. I love Skyfall. Oh, I didn't realize he directed Away We Go. That's the John Krasinski, Maya Rudolph rom-com that I adore. Um, Jarhead, which I, I saw, but I don't really remember. Um, American Beauty, which is a movie that made him super famous. And then uh, Road to Perdition, I have not watched. Apparently, he did a 1993 version of Cabaret, which I didn't know existed. Alan Cummings is in that movie. That's interesting. Um, but I, I I like a lot of those movies I just listed, so I, I'm on board for this. Um, it, you know, that's what we're going to be watching to, to end the month. And then, listeners, December comes in, and we have the biggest challenge we have faced all year because the theme for December is through the cracks. It's supposed to be movies from 2020 that we missed, and we were about to let slip through the cracks but we caught it last second. The problem is there's not a lot of movies that we were wanting to see that got released in 2020. There are some things that maybe we missed, uh, smaller indie releases. Um, so we're going to have to really do some research. I think we're going to end up watching a lot of Netflix movies that we missed. Um, the, the trial of the Chicago seven would have been on that list. Had we not just covered it for BAMP. Um, I'm pretty sure the Charlie Coffin movie is going to be on my list. Uh, oh, I want to so. see that too. I know we're gonna fight for who gets to pick that. I already one, picked but, my um, movies. Oh, you did? Did I put them on the thing? Oh, that's. I I'm not looking at it because I did not expect you to have done that. But we're not ready to announce them yet, listener, because there's still time for us to change our mind if something happens. Like, I don't know if you heard Corey, but Wonder Woman '84 is going to be released on HBO Max on December 25th. So you need to figure out your HBO Max thing. Oh, by the way, Revolutionary Road is free to watch on HBO Max. Uh, side note. Um, that's where I plan to watch it. So, um, but yeah, listeners, that's the episode. Uh, we got one more movie in Love Stinks, and we will be back with that review next week. In the meantime, we say uh, follow us on social media. Corey, where can they find you? Corey, our star two R's on the end, and I am at Burke Reviews on all of the social media, Letterbox, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, if you like what we're doing, we ask that you take a moment, rate and review the podcast, and help us get some new listeners. It always, uh, you know, puts us in a place where people will find us when they search things. And um, I think that's the episode. So with that, stay safe. 
if you're going to travel for Thanksgiving, please, 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 please wear a mask and quarantine yourself from anybody who maybe wasn't around and keep watching movies. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com.